This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by our upcoming 30 Days of Hope. Last April, we spent 30 days going through our devotional Faith, Hope, and Connection with a whole group of adoptive parents in our Facebook group. And it was so great. We just day by day had discussions about each of the devotionals for that day. We've had a lot of people ask us to do it again, and we thought, what better way to start the year than to do it together as a group? So we're going to start um, fresh into the new year on January 1st with day one of the devotional. So it'll be really easy to figure out what the rest of us are doing. The days of the devotional will correspond with the date in January. There's 30 devotionals. This is a compilation of 30 entries from 30 authors, all foster and adoptive parents. And it's going to offer you a window into their own lives and families. Yeah, you're going to recognize yourself time and time again in their words because they are walking the same road that so many of you are walking. And there's really so much wisdom that they share. And I just loved it. We had a wonderful time creating this devotional and reading it together as a group is just a really powerful experience. So you're going to want to grab your devotional if you don't have one already, or if you'd like a clean copy, because there are journaling pages built right into the devotional. So you can do that by heading to the show notes for this episode or just searching on Amazon. It's available both in paperback and on Kindle. Um, Just go to Amazon and search for Faith, Hope, and Connection. Welcome to week one of our 2019 Winter Rewind, where we are reaching back into the archives over Christmas break to bring you two episodes on the most talked about topics in our community, siblings and teens. Today, we're replaying episode five, where Lisa interviews her daughter and middle child of 11, Anna Rose, about the challenges and blessings of being a sister to kids through adoption. Anna Rose loves life, adventure, and Jesus. Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Melissa. So good to be back with you. It's Sibling Day. I have been looking forward to this podcast for so long. And by Sibling Day, I mean that we're going to talk about, actually, we're going to talk to one of your children who is obviously a sibling to adopted brothers and sisters. This is a topic that you and I both hear from listeners and blog readers all the time about siblings because we're both parents to children by birth and through adoption. This topic is so important and it's really just not addressed a ton. So I'm just so thankful that Anna Rose, Lisa's daughter, was willing to share some of her thoughts about her journey in this area. And I think you're just going to love her interview. Yeah, it was a lot of fun interviewing her. You know, the the topic of siblings has really, I kind of, it's, it's emotional. I feel like it burns in my heart. I am working on a book for parents about the sibling experience. And I've so far interviewed 53 different kids from, you know, young to older adults about their experience and things they share and their wisdom is just really remarkable. And we'll have a link in the show notes for that survey if any of you have kids who would like to participate. And I should note too that this really isn't about kids by birth versus kids by adoption. It's really about the kids who are in the home, 
the home is stable, and then we bring new children in, and how the original kids are affected by the addition of new children. So it's a little bit different. I think sometimes people think I'm talking about bio versus adopted or foster, and that's really not what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a great distinction. So thanks for doing that. Because we had a similar situation where we had two kids by birth, and then we adopted, and then we were stable, and then we brought three more kids into the mix. And so sometimes I don't know how to categorize our youngest son because he's not a child by birth, but he's definitely a sibling who has been affected by an adoption. It is an important distinction to make, I think. What was really fun about interviewing Anna Rose, there are a couple interesting things about her. She is a middle child, but she's a middle of 11. So when she tells people she's a middle child, we always think that's a little bit funny because she's not like the middle of three, but she really had a unique place in our family where she was the very middle. And she'll talk about in, in in the interview, she talks about her place in the family and where the adopted children came in. Something that's been really fun for me more recently with Anna Rose, not only has she contributed to the book about less than a year ago, I was invited to speak in California at a adoptive moms retreat. And I took Anna Rose along with me and she spoke with me about this topic. And she was so phenomenal. I was there and all, but she was really, really amazing. And we got great feedback about her interview when I interviewed her. Amazing. So the great thing is, is you guys, even though you didn't get to go all the way to California to hear Lisa and Anna Rose together, she is here in your back pocket or wherever you're listening to our podcast. And I will also just say, if you have a box of tissues around, you might want to grab it because this was an emotional interview for me too, because we have siblings. So if you have a sibling situation where you've brought an adoptive child into a pretty stable home of siblings, and it's kind of been a bumpy journey, you might just want to grab some tissues because I think this is going to just really touch your heart. Anna Rose's candidness and her honesty is just phenomenal. And there's hope at the end. So stick around for the whole interview because you're definitely going to want to hear what she has to say at the end. So Anna Rose, tell us a little bit about what you're doing in your life right now. I am currently studying abroad in Barranquilla, Colombia, um, which is on the Caribbean coast of Colombia. So I get to live right by the ocean or the sea, I guess. I'm almost done. This is finals week, so I'm almost done with my junior year. And I'm preparing to go travel through South America this summer. That sounds really exciting. So we want to talk about your experience of being a sibling. What I'd like you to share with us is a little bit about just what it was like when your little brothers came home, they were the first adopted children to join our family. What was it like when they came home from Ethiopia? I have really sweet memories of the little boys coming home. Um, I just remember holding Wagayu for the first time. He was sleeping, and I just remember like feeling so fond and just in love with him and looking around and feeling so proud. Um, it was just a really sweet moment with him. Do you remember how old you were when they came home? I think I was eight. I think I was seven when we started the process and eight when they came home. Okay. So about three months after they came home, your sister Calcidon joined our family and she was five and a half at the time. Tell us about the day when you realized that life was going to be different for you now that Calcidon had joined our family. I think one memory specifically sticks out. Um, and it was really, really briefly after she came home, we went to, on family vacation to the beach. 
Um, and I just remember it was a vacation like none other. She was very, very intense, like hectic and not panicked isn't the right word, but it was just, it was very intense. And it was kind of like, you could feel in the air that things were changing and things were going to be different from here on. What were your hopes when we adopted one last time? We brought one more sister home to you. So Beza and I are both born in September. Um, and we thought that she might have been born in the same year as me. And so I, of course, was ecstatic because I was like, I've always wanted a twin. This is perfect. Here's my buddy. Like the little boys have each other. Claire and Cockdown have each other. And now like all have a sibling that's like my age. And it's going to be so much fun and everything. And so that's kind of what I went into it expecting. So with Beza, you were the same age in many ways. But apart from that, there were some pretty significant differences. Yeah. Educationally wise, we we're in very different places um, and socially wise. And she was struggling with a lot of adjustment and attachment and just all of those things. So as a whole, I was just in a much healthier place. And so we weren't, we didn't really connect the way that I thought. And I think it also created a lot of um, like a very hard dynamic, dynamic between her and I uh, because she could see that I was in such a different place. I think she felt very threatened by that. Um, particularly because she had come from an orphanage, which is a place where generally a position of power is extremely important for survival. And all of a sudden she wasn't at the top really, which is kind of a, a weird way to put it. But I think that there was a lot of, she felt very threatened. And then that resulted in a lot of really hard experiences for me as a sibling in the mix. So she felt threatened because she had had a place in the orphanage. She'd figured out orphanage life, and now she was having to figure out family life. And so I think a lot of her behaviors were driven by deep fear, you know, that she was trying to figure out how to fit in this family, you know, and uh, it was extremely complicated. Do you have any thoughts on sort of some of the extreme behaviors that we experienced after the kids came home and how you personally were affected by that? I think that kind of because of who I was, I was a, like, like I said, like I was a pretty mature child. Um, and I definitely just personality wise kind of had the personality of an oldest sibling and like very much a leader, lots of responsibility. I love to clean. <laughs> when we kind of entered a period of chaos in our family, I took on a lot of responsibility and took on a lot of weight. A lot of the times, like if one of my siblings, one of my doctor's siblings was raging or was having really intense behavioral issues I would kind of be the one to run around and like find my other siblings and take them from away from it um, and try to distract them and, and pray or read books to them or tell them stories or anything and so I think a big part of that was that I never really got to process my own like fear or upheaval or like process those emotions of those really intense and sometimes scary moments and so I think that that was a big way that those impacted me. Um, and I think the other way that it impacted me a lot was that I was either kind of in that leadership protecting role or I just wasn't present. One of my, the really close friend that I told you about, Emily, lived pretty close by. She lived about half a mile. And after we adopted, I started homeschooling with her. So her mom would usually teach me. Um, and so I spent a lot of time at her house. But there were a lot of times when that very much became an escape and kind of a, a refuge for me away from the chaos of home. Um, it, was, it was a blessing because it was a safe space, but it was also hard because it kind of felt like it created a 
divide between me and, and my family and my home and made it feel like home wasn't really a place where I could be. Do you want to share the story you've shared with me that you once told me was the hardest moment of your childhood? Yeah. So kind of the saddest memory that I have from my childhood. It's, it's funny to me that it's the saddest because it wasn't even anything particularly intense. Like it was honestly just a very everyday occurrence. It wasn't anything particularly traumatic, but I think that the reason why it kind of marks that title in my brain is because it, because it was so representative of that time in my life. And I think because even though there were some really like hard, intense or scary experiences, the things that were most painful for me was the isolation and separation. Um, and so this memory, I think really rep- kind of represents that for, in my experience. And so there was this one day when I was, I had been at Emily's and I was doing school um, and I finished classes and everything. And so it was time to go home. So I walked home and as I started to walk up the stairs, I heard it. Um, I heard just the very familiar sounds of screaming and banging and like slamming doors and um, the sounds of, of my sibling raging. And I saw you walk past the, the front door because it has like a glass window um, with the phone in your hand. And I knew that you were calling dad um, and that it was bad enough that he had to come home. And just this look of fear and stress and, and worry on your face. And I saw Samuel walk by with a very similar look on his face trying to help um and I just remember my heart just sinking and, like, and I walked up the steps and started to open the front door and then you saw me and, and kind of caught me halfway and we're like hey I think it would be best if you went back to Emily's and I and I know that that was to protect me to remove me from a traumatic situation but it was just very sad like turning around not even stepping foot inside turning around walking down the steps and walking off into the desk by myself and it was just a very, like, that was just a very, very lonely time in my life. Um, and then kind of another side part of that is that when I got to Emily's house, I was just, I didn't know how to talk about it to anyone at that point, even though she's my best friend. I never told her about anything that was going on. And so I got there and I was just like, oh, my mom just said I could come back to play and like put on a happy face and went on, you know? Well, I think for any parent listening, oh gosh, it chokes me up. But, you know, for any of us, that may not seem dramatic, but we understand how painful that would be to feel like your place at home was not safe for you right then. And how can parents prepare their kids and their family, whether those kids came to them by birth, adoption, it doesn't matter, but kids that are in their family, life is stable, and then they adopt children with significant early trauma and lots of challenging behaviors. How can parents help prepare their kids? I think the biggest thing is educating your kids and helping them to, I mean, to prepare them and essentially helping them know and expect what's going to come. And sometimes even preparing them for the worst because the worst thing that happens is they're prepared for the worst and then maybe things are better and then it's a relief. Um, But I think that a huge part of the shock for me and, and something that made our experience even harder was just that I was completely unaware of how it would actually be. And I was completely, like, I thought that it was just all rainbows and butterflies. And I was like, I'm getting four new siblings. Yay. And I think that, that there should absolutely be that happiness and that excitement and that, like, this miracle of adoption. Um, but I think that also it's necessary, no matter how old your kids, to prepare them for, you know, and explain behaviors before the chaos hits. And to explain, like, hey, you know, you know your new brother or sister is coming from this kind of environment. Um, or they might, you know, they're coming home with some 
you know, like some broken, brokenness in their hearts or, or maybe some sad things that have happened in their life. And so they may act out because of that. And they may act really strangely. They may be mean. They may not treat mommy and daddy very well. Like anything like that, they may not treat, they may not know how to treat their siblings well or how to live in a family and things like that. And just, and helping kids understand like what behaviors they might experience or see. Um, and also explaining why those behaviors are there so that the kids aren't just like, oh, this is just a really mean kid, but understand this is why they're acting like that. I think that that would a much better protect the child to be more emotionally resilient and, and more emotionally safe in that experience to know, especially know it's like, it's not my fault. It's not their fault either. It's the things that happen to them to kind of, yeah, to kind of not be as emotionally impacted by it. Best case scenario your adopted kids are actually great and they, and they adjust great and things are much smoother than you thought. And then it's just a relief. Um, I think the other biggest thing is putting in support systems for each of your children ahead of time. Cause I think a lot of time there's just kind of, you're in the adoption process and you don't think of that. And so you thought, Oh, well, you know, we'll do that once the kids come home. Um, but in reality, I think it's much better to do that ahead of time because you never know how things are going to be once the kids come home. And so setting in support systems, but also I think ideally it's best if you can create a unique support system for each individual child so that they each have their person or their family um, that is going to watch out for them because it's very likely that you won't be able to be there for them in nearly the same way that you were before. And so I think for them to have somewhere where they feel important and valued and listened to and safe and just have someone who's really watching out for that kid is really good. Let's talk a little bit about safety. You know, when we finally got to see a very, very good adoption therapist, I remember her telling me, she said, Lisa, your children are growing up in an atmosphere of domestic violence. And I was just stunned by her words. And yet I was also, it was a feeling of relief. You know, looking back, of course, I wish that we would have protected you kids from you know, the bullying, the, the aggression against you, even witnessing the violence and aggression against me. So what do you think parents could do to put some safeguards and protections in place from the beginning? I think one thing to definitely consider, really understanding and doing your research on disrupting the birth order. I wouldn't change anything about our experience, honestly, because even though it was really hard and very painful. However, on, like after going through our experience, I wouldn't recommend um, adopting out of the birth order. In the end, it's what you're called to. But I think that ideally, it's just a safer option not to. So that's one thing to consider. And then I think another big thing is having safe spaces in your home for your children. It's like to have your adopted children not be maybe sharing a bedroom with your original children or having, I mean, if everyone has their own room or, or however it works out, I think that having your your original kids and your adopted kids or your or the new additions to your family share a bedroom can open up a lot of opportunity um, for just really unsafe scenarios. Um, and even if it's just that your kids need kind of a haven to escape to and just, you know, a place where they can go when things are chaotic or when their siblings acting out or whatever it is that they can just go and rest and feel safe and secure. Um, I think that that's really important. Those are really good thoughts. We've talked about some pretty heavy things. Tell me just a few joys of 
you know, just a few joys of having adopted and foster siblings. I don't know if Faisa would call this a joy, but a happy memory I have is that we celebrated. Originally, we, even on paper, she was a year younger, we kind of observed our birthdays together as twins. And then later on, we separated back to the one year difference. Um, but our, our 10th birthday happened one month after she came home. And I remember it was essentially Anna Rose's birthday, but with Faisa's title on it too. Um, I mean, we, we tried to make it special for her, but she didn't really speak much English yet, so she couldn't really express a lot of, and I don't know if she really knew what to desire for her birthday. But anyway, we went on a camping trip, um, and I just remember it was really fun. And I remember, like, all of us girls staying up afterwards in the tent and um, and just including Beza in it and, like, teaching her how to play cops and robbers around in the forest around the campsite and how to roast a hot dog and... Um, like sharing candy and telling ghost stories but with a lantern at night in the tent, which, I mean, she couldn't understand the stories, but she could still participate in it. And I just remember that being a really sweet memory of sharing that with her. If the you right now could say anything to the you, the 11-year-old you, eight years ago, what would you say? I would say two things. One, it will be okay. One day things will get better and it will not always be like this. It just got very dark for a very long time and it just kind of kept lasting and kept lasting. And I kept thinking like maybe this, you know, maybe especially we would try a new therapist or we would try a new treatment or we would try a new, like you would try a new parenting technique or something like that. It was just like we kept trying something new and I kind of kept putting my hope in that thing and then it just kept falling through and just, no, nothing ever changed. That was very, like, I just kind of lost hope over and over and over again. But the good news is it doesn't stay there. And it didn't stay there for us. And they, even though it was a long time of really hard, it eventually did pull out of that and things started to get better. And we started to see the light. And I have a really specific moment um, when I was in high school, when I all of a sudden realized, I was like, you know what? I'm thankful. I'm thankful for everything that happened. And I'm thankful for our adoption and I'm thankful for the ways that it was hard and I'm thankful for the ways that I grew and I'm even thankful for some of the isolation that I experienced because it really shaped who I am and it really impacted my relationship with God Um, because when I was felt so alone and when I didn't really have anyone that I could go to he was there and then the other thing that I would tell myself is you do not need to do this alone one of the things that made my experience so hard I just didn't know how to talk about it and I didn't think that anyone would understand, which kind of sounds so like classic junior high girl diary entry. But my friends, like at youth group or my friends at school or on my track team, they have a concept of some of these other really hard things, such as domestic violence or having alcoholic parents or going through a divorce. Like those are all really hard things for a child to go through. But they are like conscious of those things. And most of them have at least one friend who's gone through that. And so they're like, those are familiar hardships to them. Whereas traumatized adopted sibling chaotic home life is like just not really on their radar. Like they don't really know how to process that. And so that was just, and I was acutely aware of that. And I was like, no one's going to get it. Like at the most they'll be like, Oh, your sibling acts out. That's too bad. So I just had this big fear of, talking about it with people because I just didn't really think that they would understand. And I thought that it would make me feel even more kind of isolated and lonely. I didn't talk about it with people at church, people at school, my teachers, anyone. And so I just 
went through my life every day, going through some really hard traumatic experiences at home and acting like everything was great and acting like I had a great life. And, and I remember people telling me all the time in high school, Anna Rose, you're the happiest person I know. Or like, Anna Rose, you have this perfect life, perfect family. You're just like all around perfect. And I just remember literally people saying those things, perfect life, perfect family. And just sitting there and just being like, I have no idea what to say right now. Like, I don't know how to react because I'm too deep in now. Like at this point, people have been thinking these things for years and I've never told anyone. They wouldn't believe me if I told them the truth, you know? And, and I was worried that people would think that I was looking for attention um, or things like that. And so I just didn't. And so I just was very lonely for a long time in a lot of that. Um, there was a time when, like, you know, all of my siblings were also going through this. We were all kind of going through our, our own hardships. And so even though we shared that and we could talk about it, we couldn't really, didn't have a lot to give. We couldn't really be there for each other a whole lot. And then you and dad were very, I mean, there was just so much with the kids that you weren't just, you weren't really in a place to be able to help me through that. And so I think the, the biggest thing that I would say to that 11 year old self is you don't need to do this alone. Start talking about it. So your two things that you would tell yourself are, it's not always going to be like this. It will get better. To don't try to do it alone. Find trusted people you can talk to. Yes. And, you know, I think um, a lot of parents like us are so focused on getting help for the child with all this trauma, the child who's bringing a lot of difficult things into the family, that we kind of, we know our other kids need help and support. We know that they probably all need therapists too to process this. But we're so overwhelmed with like, What's the most immediate, immediate need? So if I could do it all again, I would get help for all of you kids a lot faster. I would absolutely put more safety in place. I would, we thought we were keeping you all safe, both physically and emotionally. And, but um, we really, I would, I would put a lot more in place to keep everybody safer and healthier. So tell us um, how your life has been shaped by adoption and foster care. Yeah, so many ways. I think that as much as kind of having to step up and having to grow up really fast was a hard thing at the time, it also was so, I guess something I'm thankful for now because I think that it formed a lot of my personality and like my strengths and gifts. Um, I think that I'm a strong leader and I'm responsible and good at organizing things and um, kind of good at taking initiative and a lot of that is due to having it to kind of those ways that I had to step up back then and I think also in that that period of my life I was very independent um, and I was kind of in charge of a lot of my life but that was actually kind of a really cool thing because that also has opened up so many doors for me because in college as I've gotten older I haven't just sat back and waited for things to come for me or waited for other people to make things happen in my life. But I've really gone for them myself um, and, and just taken a lot of that initiative. And so I think that, and I've had some pretty incredible opportunities because of that. And so I think that that, those are some really cool things that have come from it on a more like softer note and more kind of talking about the heart, like our lives completely changed and who I was completely changed. And I kind of as a, as a, maybe a teen, I was kind of jealous of my friends who had really radical testimony stories, you know, of like before this and after this. And I was like, group in the church my whole life, you know? Uh, but then when I started to think about it, as I kind of got older and started to really think through my story, I realized I was like, 
although I believed in God my whole life, I didn't really know him and I didn't really know Jesus or understand what it meant to follow Jesus or what he said and what he did and, and what that looks like to follow him um, until we adopted because adopting itself was us stepping in faithfulness to what God asked us to do um, and obeying and loving the alien, the orphan and the widow. And so that kind of triggered this, this idea of like, okay, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus in our lives? Um, and I started to read the Bible and I started to get to know who Jesus was and just really fall in love with him. As I got to know Jesus better, I started to really understand empathy and started to understand people who've gone through really hard things and, and what that looks like to reach out to them and what it looks like not to judge, but to be with someone and be present with someone in their, in their messy or broken places. And I think that those, that's one of the most important lessons that, that I've ever learned. Um, and it's definitely one of the things that I'm most thankful for out of that. Um, and I think that as a whole, that our family culture was changed in that direction. Um, but then kind of on a cool note too, I think that it just totally broadens my world. Like it kind of broke open this, this small little experience of the world that eight-year-old Anna Rose had and just broke it wide open um, and just expanded my, my horizons, my understandings of the world. And, you know, it connected me to a continent on the other side of the world. Um, and that really spurred a lot of international interest um, and interest in other cultures and languages and people groups that then developed into me learning Spanish. No, being, not just learning Spanish, but being fluent in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and me doing different projects to reach out to people new in my community, which then kind of developed into me picking my majors and then studying abroad in Colombia. And so, I mean, so I don't think my life would be anywhere near what it is mm -hmm. if we hadn't adopted. And I don't think it would be nearly as wonderful or cool. I think I like myself a lot better who I am having gone through the experience of adopting than who I would have been without it. Well, that's, that is very beautiful. Anna Rose. It's so encouraging to me as a mom. Um, and I know it's encouraging to our listeners too, because a lot of times we wonder when things get really, really hard, you know, did we ruin our kids' lives? Did we ruin our family? And I think what you're saying is that we went through very, very hard things and we became actually a very different family. But the good part of that is that a lot of that suffering and the brokenness we went through, I think, brought us out to the other side of being a family that, you know, really loves and wants to serve people who are hurting in the world. And we're really passionate about our faith. And I think we're who we are meant to be, even though it, was very hard. I think that's one of the, you know, we think about God makes beauty out of ashes. I think we went through a lot of ashes and a lot of hurt, but he has made something beautiful. He's made us into a different family altogether, really. Okay. If you could say one last thing to the adoptive and foster parents listening, what would you want to say to them? I will say that we go to this, this family camp every year that's compiled of a lot of foster and adoptive families. And every September when we go, I just think to myself, wow, these moms are my heroes. Or like these parents are my heroes. And it's just, I just am in a room surrounded by these incredible people who have given up so much, sometimes given up everything and sacrifice in order to love, um, in order to give, and um, in order to bless others and to follow 
Jesus. And I just think that those things are really incredible and that it's just super beautiful. And I think that for those who are believers, like, I think that like these people really demonstrate what it looks like to directly follow what Jesus says, where he says, like, give up your life and follow me, give up what you have and follow me. And I think that these people are some of the best examples that I've seen. So I think just that encouragement of in the end, like these lives aren't ours um, and they're God's and, and they're what he's given us and what he's asked us to do with them. And so I think just an encouragement that, um, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so I think that just the encouragement of uh, that one day that might be said to you and just that you're doing, doing the good work and that it will get better and that you don't have to do it alone. <laughs> Well, you just summarized our whole uh, interview. Thank you so much. And most of all, I appreciate hearing your beautiful heart. And I know Dad and I are very thankful for the grace that you've extended to us and all of the probably mistakes that we made, things we should have done, things we shouldn't have done. And we love you and appreciate that. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, so what did I tell you? Such a powerful interview. So thank you so much, Lisa, for inviting Anna Rose to do that because I just know it's going to be meaningful to so many of our listeners. Well, I'm really glad. She is a joy to my heart, as you can imagine. And the fact that she um, has forgiven us for our many, many mistakes means a lot. I hope that this interview is very helpful to you know all of our listeners. We do have a download, a free download about the sibling experience and giving voice to siblings. So we hope you'll go take a look at that. The download is called Five Tips for Staying Connected to Your Original Kids When New Siblings Join the Family. You can head to our website and grab it from the show notes, which can be found at theadoptionconnection.com slash five. Next week, tune in as our winter rewind turns to parenting teens and young adults with the future in mind. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.